Teaching meditation can be a deeply rewarding experience. Help others improve their mental and emotional well-being, reduce stress, improve focus, increase self-awareness and self-regulation, all while deepening your own practice and understanding. Join acclaimed author, Buddhist teacher, and Emmy Award-winning musician David Nickturn on Tuesday, May 28th at 6 p.m. Eastern Time for a free online discussion on teaching meditation in Dharma Moon's renowned Mindfulness Meditation Teacher Training Program. Get certified by Dharma Moon to teach meditation, lead group practice sessions, and work with individual students. Visit dharmamoon.com slash be here now for more info and to reserve your spot for the free online event with David Nickturn on May 28th. I'm Rachel, the creative director for Ram Dass's Love Server Member Foundation, and I'd like to welcome you to our Inner Academy, a virtual Dharma hall where our family of wisdom teachers will help you navigate your daily life by bringing ancient wisdom into a modern context. With over 200 hours of audio and video teachings, meditations, and practices from teachers like Ram Dass, Krishna Das, Sharon Salzberg, Jack Kornfield, Roshi Joan Halifax, Joseph Goldstein, and many more, the Inner Academy is your core resource for finding balance, presence, and navigating the ups and downs of your daily life. The Inner Academy has guidance for every step of your journey. Choose from an annual or monthly membership and gain access to past and future courses, retreat replays, virtual community, and much more. If you've been familiar with Love Server Member Foundation for a while, you'll know that most of our offerings are given freely or on a sliding scale basis. So when you subscribe to the Inner Academy, you're paying it forward and bolstering our ability to continue creating accessible offerings for all in the future, as Ramdas wished for us to do. Be here now and start your journey with Ramdas's Inner Academy today. For more, visit ramdas.org forward slash Inner Academy. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to the Krishnadas Pilgrim Heart Hour. In this podcast, Krishnadas shares his warm-hearted and down-to-earth path to the divine. If you are interested in supporting Krishnadas's podcast, please go to beherenownetwork.com/kd. There's a great saint in uh, India. 1800s named Ramakrishna. <clears throat> and he uh, described how the practice of chanting these names works. Uh, and it's not what you might think it is. It's definitely what we don't think it is. He said every repetition of one of these names is planting a seed. And actually, the repetition is a seed. 
you know, every action you take is a karma, creates a karma, and is also the result of previous karmas. And in the same way, when we repeat these names, it's an action that plants a seed in our mind stream. So, you know, when you plant a seed, you can plant it in many different ways. You can throw it like this if you have a big field, or you can plant each individual one, or you can make it too deep so it doesn't grow, or too shallow so it doesn't grow. And what that corresponds to is our motivation as we do these practices. So we're planting seeds all the time. Everything we do plants a seed. And they say that the repetition of the name is a totally sattvic action. It's a totally harm, an action that's in harmony with the universe. There's no negativity associated with it in any way. Like most actions can have positive and negative qualities to them. You can go like this. It could be good exercise unless somebody's head happens to be in the way. And then there's a negative aspect to it. But with the repetition of the name, there's actually no negative aspect. So, every repetition of one of these names is a seed. Now, these seeds get caught by the wind. And they get blown for miles and miles. And they land on the roof of an old house in the middle of nowhere. And in India in those days, the roofs were made from... Uh, clay tiles at times. And those tiles were not baked the way they are now. They were baked in the sun. So they weren't really as hard as they are now. <clears throat> so the seeds of the repetition of our of these names that we do land on the roof of this house and they get caught between the tiles. Now over time and the change of seasons, gradually these tiles break down. They get soft. And at that point, the seeds which we planted through the repetition of the name begin to take root. So you see that when we do these practices, it's not necessarily about what we're experiencing at that moment we're doing the practice. Most of us are very interested in how we're feeling all the time. So when we're doing a practice, it's like, Sri Ram Jai Ram, how am I feeling now? Is that working? Sri Ram Jai Ram, how about now? I don't know. Let me think. Sri Ram Jai Ram, no, I don't think it's working. This is the way we do our practices. So, however, the way Ramakrishna describes it is that it's not about how we feel at this moment. The seeds we're planting with our action of repeating these names, they will take root and grow at the right time as certain causes and conditions arise that allow them to take root. So what happens? These seeds start to grow on the roof of this house. Have you ever seen, a lot of times in India, you see these old houses completely overgrown with stuff. And what happens is they start to grow, and they grow, and they grow, and they destroy the roof of the house. They destroy the roof of the house. And they continue to grow. 
and gradually they destroy the whole house. Ramakrishna says, this house is who we think we are. This house is who we think we are. All of our suffering, all of our unhappiness comes from the fact that we feel we're separate from the universe and from other people. There's a planet of me around which all our shit revolves constantly, like planets. As that me dissolves, that, that stuff has nothing to revolve around and it just floats off into space. So this planet of me, this house, which was constructed out of different materials, different karmas created who we think we are. That house, which is temporary, like all houses, they're created from stuff and more stuff happens and they break down. That house of who we think we are is gradually destroyed through the repetition of the name. Is that a bad thing? When we say destroyed, it seems to have a negative aspect, but it's not at all negative because it's our unhappiness that revolves around this false notion of me. Ultimately, there is no me. There's only God. There's only that. But we think we are who we think we are. This is the definition of insanity. Absolute delusion. But if you think you are somebody, like we do, we have to act based on who we think we are. So the greatest action we can take, the kind of actions that will dissolve this separateness, this false separateness that we're suffering under the delusion of, and which causes all our unhappiness, is spiritual practice, like the repetition of the name. And nothing is lost, because when that house is it falls apart. The only difference is there's no dividing between the inside and the outside anymore. There's no me and others. There's no mine and yours. There's no, this is good for me and I need this so you can't have it. All that selfishness dissolves because we recognize the truth, which is that there's only one self and we are all that. You know, imagine everybody sitting in this space here. We're all in these little bubbles of me. And we bounce against each other, caress the other bubble, yell at the other bubble, whatever we do. But it's based on the fact that we think we're these little bubbles. And that I think you're those bubbles and I'm this bubble. This is the karmic condition that we find ourselves in. It's not ultimate reality. It's not the truth. It's apparent reality. So if we want to find 
the truth. If we want to be happy, if we want to have peace of mind, if we want to conquer our fear, if we want to know what this is all about, it's only spiritual practice that can do that. Because every time we come back from being gone, we've just planted a seed. When you're, when you're chanting and you notice that for the last 10 minutes you haven't been paying attention, you just came back. That's a seed that's planted right there at that moment. And the more of those seeds that get planted, the easier it is to remember to come back again and again. Come back from what? Come back from being lost in our thoughts, lost in our memories, lost in our fantasies, lost in thinking about this or that, lost in evaluating ourselves and others. This is how we spend our time all day, every day. We wake up in the morning and we start writing, producing, directing, and acting in the movie of me. And we never get tired of it. Weird. So, through these practices, we start to recognize things within ourselves. It's as if the clouds go away for a minute and we see something clearly, and that changes the way we go through our day. No matter how many books you read, no matter how much you study, until you've done some practice, none of that stuff will make any sense. It won't really help it. It will lead us to doing more practice and to getting more realization. One time I sang, uh, I was about to sing the chant, that song I do, My Foolish Heart in New York, <clears throat> for the first time. So I announced it. I said, oh, well, you know, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to, sing this song that has some English in it, right? So later on, a friend of mine who was in the audience said she was sitting next to this guy. And as soon as I said that, he said, ah, I didn't come here for this. <laughs> How great is that? What is it the guy didn't come there for? English. Why? Well, what language do we give ourselves a hard time in? English. When we're going ram, 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 we don't know what the hell we're doing. But when we, in English, we know what we're doing. Ah, you screwed up, you didn't do this, you didn't do that, you didn't do that. Or how great you are, you're really wonderful, aren't you fantastic? You know, just different tastes of bullshit. So he didn't come there for English. It's a very good point. Because we think in English, we think and when we think, mostly we're just ruminating about ourselves all the time. And he didn't want to be in that. He wanted to escape to something he had no idea what it was. <laughs> but you don't have to know about these things. We don't know how practices work when we're doing them. But we, we know enough to do them. You don't know how your digestion works, but you know you have to eat. You don't know how the car runs, but you know you get in, you do this, and you go places. And we know that if we do practice, our lives can change. 
The way we feel about ourselves can change. The way we feel about our lives, the way we feel about other people, the way we navigate through our days, our D-A-Z-E and D-A-Y-S, all that can change through practice. You cannot think yourself out of a prison that's made of thought. You cannot think yourself out of this. We're in the prison of our own thoughts. And we can't think ourselves out of it. It's only by getting the strength to let go of those thoughts, to come back to here, to come back again and again. This is how we find out what's really, what's really going on. All right, now that I've depressed you, how about some questions? <clears throat> okay. Do we have a mic? If Shiva Kami's not here, nothing happens? Is that what's happening? Okay, Ishwar Maharaj will move the mic around. No, hold on. Okay, let's see. No? There's Sivakami. Now everything will be okay. Uh, so I had a question about... Um, Turn it up, Kev. Here we go. Oh, okay, there we go. Here we go. Thank you. I told you. <laughs> so um, I had a question about um, Maharaji's lineage. So in... Lineage? Yeah, uh -huh. so, you know, in, in Indian spiritual practice, they always talk about lineage, you know, where somebody comes from and, like, where that person's guru came from, all that. But I don't think I've ever heard... That's because that. he never talked about it. You know, we know... We know, we just, we know some very basic things about his life. He left home about eight because his stepmother, his father's second wife, wouldn't feed him and wasn't good to him, so he ran away. Uh, his father was a landholder and uh, a big guy in the village. And the second wife wanted her son to inherit the land, so she was trying to be, get uh, Maharaja to go away, and she did. He ran away to the jungle, and he was in the jungle for many years, maybe about 10 years or so, maybe 12, I'm not sure. And then. He was recognized by somebody, and that guy came back and told his father. His father went to get him, brought him back home. Uh, he had been engaged. You know, they get engaged very young in the villages, and he had been engaged before he ran away. And his, uh, his wife-to-be was already being treated as a widow, which is the worst possible way you can be treated in India. So you're a slave. You, you can't go back to your parents' house. And you, the people that you live with, if you don't, your husband's not there to treat you like, you do all the hard work and you get nothing. So anyway, he came back and they got married. And they had three children. And he hung around the village uh, <clears throat> for about 12 or 14 years until his daughter went off to uh, school in another town. 
and um, they say that he used to stay in the house most of the time and that people would arrive and knock on the door and ask to see him. And nobody ever wondered how they knew he was there. But people would show up, sadhus, people would come and want to see him. He'd already done a lot of practice. He'd, he'd, um, he'd already been in caves. Maybe he was a little older when he came home, by the time he came home. He spent, he was in a cave for three years and then again for five years in a little village, not too far from his home village. But in his home village, he was known as, his name was Lakshmi Narayan Sharma. And in his, the place that he did his, his meditation and everything, in his tapas, in this cave, where he was known as Lakshman Das. And then he became known as Nimkuroli Baba because the name of the village was Nimkuroli. And nobody in his village knew that it was the same guy. He had people confused right from the beginning, which was, he loved to do that. There were, and no one knew. Almost only two or three people knew that he had, was married and had children. Of all the devotees he had, only a very few knew about that. But his kids would come to see him. They just weren't introduced as his children. And uh, so after his daughter went off to school, he started traveling a lot more and then hardly ever went home after that. Um, <clears throat> He, they say that he was initiated into the Vaishnava tradition, the worshippers of Vishnu, but he never really wore any, had any marks, any of the holy marks that they put on, you know, that identified him as a Shaivite or as a Vaishnavite. Or that. He never did that. And he, at one point, he had his thread from being a Brahmin, but then he threw that away too. He just went beyond all that stuff, you know, and just never... And he never talked about his gurus or anything like that. But he was definitely from the lineage of Ram and Hanuman. And he was treated as if he was Hanuman himself. So how did that happen? I mean, how did, how did people recognize that he was of that lineage, Ram and Hanuman? Well, he built about 20 Hanuman temples. <laughs> that was one thing. And people would have experiences of him as Hanuman. They would see him that way. Also, you know, Hanuman is a form of Shiva. I don't know if you know the whole thing, but the 11th Rudra, the 11th face of Shiva is a monkey face, the final face of Shiva. And uh, this energy went into, <clears throat> through the wind god, went into a woman, a, a monkey, not really a monkey, a vanar, this is a race of beings in those times, which was like half human and half ape. They, they could change form at will. That's the story. And so his mother's name was Anjani, and she was sitting on a hill. And she felt something enter into her. And she immediately went like, who's that? You know? And the wind god manifested and said, don't worry, it's just me. And uh, you're going to have a baby, and he's going to be a great being. And uh, it was Shiva's energy coming into her through the wind god. That's what they say. So some of Maharaji's devotees worshipped him as Shiva. 
and uh, <clears throat> because Hanuman is a form of Shiva. That's what they say. But you know what? We don't know what any of this shit means. <laughs> so what the hell, right? He was great. He was full of love. I really dug him, and that's all I care about. <laughs> the rest of this stuff's just fairy tales, you know. It's the love that's the secret, you know. There was a, there was a great poet saint named Ramde, Namdev in Maharashtra, and he said, you know, I've studied all the Vedas, got that. I've been with the yogis, I've done all that stuff. I've had this experience and that experience. I've re realized this and realized that. But I've been saved from, from all this by the grace of the saints. He said, the secret is love. The secret is the love. You can have all these experiences. You can be blissed out of your bird. But unless you've tasted that love, and until you've tasted that love, we don't know what's we don't know what's going on. It's the essence of everything. And Maharaji was that, is that, is that love. And it's all-encompassing. Everyone who came to him was blessed with that love. But he didn't need to say, okay, good, I blessed you. Now he just said, get out. <laughs> Here, eat this, go away. Because, you know, every, if he sat down in a place, it became a city in a day. People would come from everywhere. So he just kind of kept deflecting it all. Otherwise, it got, you know, you'd have to build too many latrines. Actually, the first, one of the first names he, he had was Tatiwala Baba, which means latrine Baba. <laughs> because one of the first things he would do whenever he went somewhere was build latrines for people. Because there were like hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people coming. What are they going to do? Especially when he was giving you so much food to eat. <laughs> so he's definitely from that side of the family, the Ram side of the family. And he himself was always repeating the name of Ram. You could see his tongue was always moving all the time. There's a, the more you do these practices, the more you, you do japa and the more you chant. <clears throat> you might begin to notice that it'll just come back to you at times without your own, without you actually remembering or trying to remember. Like you'll be driving along and all of a sudden you'll be hearing Sri Ram Jai Ram in your head or something like that or Hare Krishna. Because there's a, essentially a place within us where the name is always going on. Because the name, they say, see, when I don't know what I'm talking about, I say, they say, they say the name and what is named, or God, are not different. And God lives within us as our own true being, as our self, capital S. And so the name is always resounding like thunder in the sky in that space whether we're paying attention or not it's there because it's there and our job 
is to try to remember to look and find that place where it's always going on. And then gradually, but inevitably, our thoughts and our, our crusty, difficult, cranky sense of self starts to dissolve into that. And we're left with happiness, which is our true nature. We don't have to create that. We just have to let go of the unhappiness. The happiness, the love is already there. It's already here. I know it's hard to believe. Too bad. If you weren't here already, there'd be nobody for me to say this to. So obviously you already are looking for something. So it's just a question of clarifying what you're looking for and figuring out the best way to find it, where to look. If you're looking for a treasure, it's probably a good idea to look somewhere where it's buried and look in some other country. <clears throat> and there are mantras for finding buried treasure, by the way. There are mantras for everything. There are mantras for robbing banks, stopping trains, becoming president of the United States. There's mantras for all that stuff. And if that's what you want, you can get those mantras and you can do that. But you'll still be you. You'll be the president of the United States and you'll still be unhappy. What's the sense? Forget about it. Go right to the happiness. Go right to the love. And then whatever you want is fine. They say Hanuman not only gives liberation, but he also allows the desires that we have that are in our own best interest to be fulfilled. This is not a renunciate path. Renunciation is not easy. It's a very difficult, difficult practice. And they say that in this age it's not really necessary, nor is it possible for most of us. We all have a lot of desires. Let them be fulfilled. Why not? There's no reason. Maybe they're there for a purpose. Maybe we need those things. But anyway, Hanuman is different that way. Not only does he give liberation, but along the way he allows the things that you really need to come to you. I mean, if I look at my life, it, it's kind of like that. I wanted to be famous. I wanted to be a, a rock and roll singer, you know, in a band. And now I'm basically doing that. But instead of doing so many drugs that I would have been dead already, I'm sitting here like this, and I'm chanting, and I'm doing something that's not only good for me, but it's good for everybody. So he took... He took the outline of my life. He took the, the, the external facts of my life. And instead of letting them go this way, which would have ensured death already, I would have been dead many years ago, he just changed it. So it's basically the same, but it's completely different. And I can do it sitting down. 
It might have been better if I was, you know, had to jump around the stage. I would have been better shape. But what are you going to do? Can't have everything. I think that was the answer to your question. <laughs> I hope. <laughs> Hi. Hi. So, just related to what you just said, do you think once we figure things out, um, you know? I'm say that again. I said, do you think once we figure things out, you know, what's trying to live with ourselves and what we have inside, and once we kind of think, okay, we're on the right path. Is there, is there a purpose in life for us? Um, do you think each of us has a purpose in life? Well, my purpose is to keep breathing as long as I can. You know, we, we each have a basic nature. We have certain karmas that we're going to fulfill, that we need to fulfill. If you want to call that a purpose, you can call that a purpose. It's a little grandiose, I think, but you can do that. I don't know if I have a purpose. I have a life I have to live. I'm not going to make a big deal about it. You have who you are. You've got to be the best you you can be. That's your purpose. Uh, as far as a role to play on the stage of the world, maybe, maybe not. Maybe your role is just it's very simple. Maybe mine is very simple. Although I once was blessed by one old devotee. He said, go back to America. And may you be blessed. May you become the president of the United States. <laughs> I don't think so. That's not my purpose. So, you, have, you know, you have who you are. Be that. Find out what that is. Find out who you are. That's your purpose. That's everybody's purpose. To be the best you you can be. To become the best human being you can be become kind and compassionate, to overcome all the self-centered greed and anger and fear and shame that we carry around with us. That's enough of a purpose. It'll take you 15,000 lifetimes. Might as well start now. Who's got the mic? Ah, go ahead. Can you hear? I don't know. <laughs> I am deaf. Go ahead. It struck me yesterday listening to you talk about your upcoming arrest. I have this vision of you My sleeping. upcoming arrest? You <laughs> <laughs> did say there was that part of you. Yeah, go ahead. Your arrest. I have yeah. this vision of you sleeping <clears throat> yes. amongst your suitcases in your living room. <laughs> yeah. But made me wonder about all your travels over the last 20 years. Mm -hmm. I met you in Costa Rica at Blue Spirit, which is a blue zone. Uh, I wondered if there was any place in all your travels that spoke to your heart and your soul more than any other. Every place I go, I always say to somebody, you know, I could live here. Wouldn't it be great? <laughs> I don't know. The place that talks to me the most are the mountains in India, period. That's it. That's home. Uh, when I got to India, I went, oh, I'm home. And I realized I had never felt home anywhere before. So that's, that's the place that I feel the best in terms of most comfortable. And, but everywhere I go, I meet the best people. I meet people who want to chant and want to get this shit together, you know? So that's great. Even in Switzerland. 
I love it, you know. They, they got absolutely no swing at all. But their hearts are good. I did a workshop in Switzerland, and three hours, they sat there like this. Not a word. The minute I was finished talking, and I said, okay, bye. They all wanted to talk. It was crazy. And it was beautiful. It's, uh, I, I'm very blessed that way, you know. Every place I go, it, it's like this, you know. It's fantastic. When I want to feel better, I just go to New York alone. <laughs> Wander around and get beaten up. But otherwise, it's all like this. It's wonderful. Um, yeah. And the weird thing is, no matter where, it's the same for me. I, I usually don't go out of my hotel room much. I don't sightsee. You know, I just hang out with the people that I'm hanging out with. Then I go to the next place. I, it's crazy. I've been all around the world. I haven't seen shit. What are you going to do next time? Yeah. Well, was, you have the mic? Where's the mic? <clears throat> you, you talk about your dark side. Um, had it not been for your dark side, do you think you would have been on the path that you're on right now? What do you mean by dark side? What do we mean by dark side? You know, We mean... What, I heard you talk. Yeah. Other, you're talking about your struggles and then all of a sudden with drugs and everything else. And mm -hmm. do you think if it wasn't for that path that you were on, that you never would have taken the path that you're on now? I think it's exactly the opposite. Really. I think all that dark stuff, those heavy karmas I had to live, live through uh, and live and, and survive my own. Uh, predisposition to pain and suffering and darkness and unhappiness. I had to survive that in order to be me, in order to, in order to recognize this love, you know. So I don't think it was a blessing. I think it was just karma to live on, live through. So I think the question, I would, you know, it's actually just opposite, you know. I mean, you could see it that way, but that's very romantic, you know. And I'm not like, you know, Rimbaud or somebody. You know? You could see it that way. It's a nice storyline. I had to live through all this, otherwise I would have never searched for the light. If I didn't have all that shit, I would have been in the light from day one. Great. If I hadn't made all those stupid choices, I wouldn't have suffered the way I did. Terrific. So... You know, I mean, uh, you could say it that way or you could say it this way. It gets to the same place right here. So, you know, at some point, one of the things that happens the more practice you do and the more you immerse yourself on the path is that um, you stop thinking about yourself all the time so much. It's, it's unusual. Like, maybe... 
that version of me, 10 years ago maybe, you know, yeah, I would have bought into that. Yeah, I, you know, without that, all that darkness, I would have never looked for that love. But now, you know, ah, maybe, maybe not. Little by little, you stop being the center of the universe. It's just, it's very hard to explain. But most of my life, I've been overly concerned about how I was feeling. How am I now? Am I depressed today? I feel like shit today. Yeah, well, 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 you know. And now, who cares? It's not the focus of my attention that much. Like, I used to mope around a lot. Moping was my kind of my nature, you know? Now I miss it. Really, sometimes I'll mope around the house just for fun, just to see how it feels. Like, oh man, this sucks. Oh, Jesus, everything. But it's hard to kind of get into it, you know? And that's the result of practice. I, you spend less and less time in these heavier negative states of mind. But you don't notice that because you're not in them. And that's good. There's no reason to be noticing it all the time. Because that name is going on all the time within us. And the more time we spend turning towards that, the less time we're concerned with all the nonsense. The less we're identified with all the nonsense, all the stuff. How do I feel now? How do I feel now? What if I do this? Should I take an aspirin or should I take heroin? What do I think? I don't know. What's better? You know, I mean, you know, who cares? It just, those thoughts just go through like uh, Indian food. <laughs> no nutrition whatsoever. They pass through so fast, they don't even, you hardly notice them. And that's, that's something that's hard to explain to people, you know, because we have this ingrained kind of worldview that I am the most important thing in my life. And everything revolves around me. And if I don't feel good, the world is screwed. But little by little, that it shifts. It, it kind of dissolves a little bit. Because it's an obsession. It's not real. It's just thoughts. It's an obsession that we're stuck in. It's me, 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 me all the time. I'm bored with it. What a drag. Me, 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 me. Who cares? Ram, ram. That's more fun. Because what does it mean? Nothing. It means being here. It means being freed from all those definitions and all the limitations and all the dreams that didn't come true and all the things that you wanted that you didn't get and all the things that you got that you didn't want. You know, all that stuff of life. Okay, fine, it's there, Ram. You know? And at the same time, you're doing practice more intensely, which is funny. Because here we are, we're not so self-absorbed. And yet at the same time, here we are doing more practice. But they're different. One is turned towards the outside, and one is looking towards the inside, you could say.
Mike, where's the mic? Uh, do you hear me? Where are you? I'm here. Hi. <laughs> Hi. Um, you said that you stopped to think about yourself. Well, this, uh, for, for 13 seconds every other day. <laughs> so this made me think that also, um, so my question is, uh, what about what the others are thinking about yourself? So what was the most difficult? Because sometimes we get through some stages of our life, mm -hmm. but it happens that we meet people which know us from that time mm -hmm. of life. <coughs> so they have a specific perception of us. Mm -hmm. And I felt uh, sometimes, so these people, they are coming, um, bringing you back Mm -hmm. a memory mm -hmm. of yourself. Mm -hmm. So um, what was most difficult for you to stop thinking about yourself or um, to stop, um, do you know, uh, jumping back <laughs> from uh, the, the image or the memory the others they're bringing? Yeah, well, um, you know, there's a famous line that... If you want to see how your spiritual work is, is really going on, just go spend some time with your family. <laughs> because nobody sees you more strongly as this than your family. And so you go back and you see if you get stuck in that. You know? And if you do, you, you, know, you can see how much work you have to do. It's not your family's fault. They're just, they, they, that's the way they see you. And if it if it sticks to you, that, then you you see you you know you recognize that you're still you're not as far along as you thought you were, which none of us are, by the way. <laughs> and uh, but eventually you, uh, I I just went to my fiftieth high school reunion, and. Even just thinking about it brings tears of joy and love to my eyes. There were these people I went through the worst years of my life with. And they're all like me, old and fat. And I kept seeing, looking at them and kind of rolling back the years, right? And seeing the kid that I was so close with, right? Or the girl that I had the hots for in 10th grade or this, you know? And it was so great. Ah. And they looked at me like I was from another planet because they all know that I'm kind of off planet most of the time. <laughs> they were all lawyers and doctors and accountants and all kinds of great, you know. But there was so much love. It was fantastic. You know, I didn't expect that, really. And... Um, that was that made me feel so good, you know. I, it just gave me so much joy to, because I can remember so many things, you know, about my childhood and the way I felt as a kid and all the things, you know. And then, but f I see them now with such love. The whole thing was such love and affection for all that, all those people, and even myself, that poor kid. Oh Jesus, you know. My mother wouldn't let me comb my hair a certain way, right? And I used this stuff called, what was it called? It was, in a, it was green goop in a bottle. It was called hair slick or something like that. 
And it went on, you know, you put it on, and it held your hair in a certain kind of way. But after about five minutes, it dried up and got hard as a rock. So what I used to have to do, since my mother wouldn't let me comb my hair the way I wanted to, I had to put the hair slick on it at the very last minute and then get to the bus stop and go hide in the bushes and recomb my hair before it got hard. Wow. Such dedication I had. It was extraordinary. Unbelievable. So, you know, but on the other, the, the other aspect of this is especially when you meet people from your past and that know you a certain way and they can only see you that way eventually what arises from your heart is, is compassion and, and caring because you see they're really stuck you know, they're really stuck thinking they are who they think they are. And there's no space in there. And there's no relief. They don't find any relief from that. And it, it's heartbreaking, really. Yeah. And the less you need the world to behave the way you want it to behave, the less you demand satisfaction from everyday life and from the relationships we have with people, the less we demand that they be the way we need them to be or want them to be, the less we do that, the more love flows the more you can love people as they are. They're not disappointing you. They're not hurting you by not giving you what you want. How could we expect that? They're them. They can't be who I want them to be. And so you release them from that. And then what comes out of you is just this caring for them and for yourself. So this is what happens in practice. And then instead of living in disappointment and anger and anxiety and, and, and frustration, you're living in love. And the only thing that's changed is the way you see the world. People are exactly the same, but you're not making them into criminals for not giving you what you, what you need, what you think you need then the love just comes up naturally. Mm -hmm.